She's Gotta Have It is an early independent film from prominent and brilliant filmmaker Spike Lee. If you're not familiar with him, kind of like Maria and me before watching this, Spike Lee was an indie film darling long before Wes Anderson and Quentin Tarantino had their debuts. And this film, while operating on a shoestring budget, had some intelligent things to say about being a woman in the 80s. The plot focuses on Nola Darling, a young black woman living in the city and juggling three men in her sex life. That sounds like a wacky sitcom, but the film uses this setup to talk about how life for women was rapidly changing in the 80s. Women were gaining independence quickly, and for the first time in, well, forever, women didn't actually need men. So this film is about that, and it's also about how men dealt with that, which is to say poorly. The film is sprinkled with things like jazz music and little bits of 80s urban culture that give this a real depth beyond a low-budget indie film. Lee captured the Black experience in a way that was deeply human and relatable, and the characters in this film feel like people, which is refreshing in a sea of movies where most characters have to be defined by one or two traits. The film's not perfect. There were some technical flubs and a few bits of sloppy acting or editing, and there was one really out-of-place assault scene in the film that both Maria and I had a problem with. But overall, this was a good film especially considering how low the budget was and how different it was from other films of its time. So get ready for us to dig into this early entry from Spike Lee and talk about how life for women was changing in the 80s in this episode of Peculiar Picture Show, the podcast that talks about movies, maladies, and mental health. Welcome to Peculiar Picture Show, the podcast that talks about movies, maladies, and mental health. I am one of your hosts, Maria Malazzo. And I am your other host, I am Brandon Gregory. So today we are looking at the 1986 independent film, She's Gotta Have It by Spike Lee. And we were talking about Spike Lee, um, I think even the, the last regular episode, how we hadn't seen a lot of Spike Lee films. This is your first Spike Lee film, correct? Yes, this is my first and only now Spike Lee film. <laughs> what about you? Um, well, I have seen Black Klansmen. Um, and so okay. this is my second one. And I, I love this film. Um, I, I was a fan. So I, what, were, what were your thoughts on it? Um, it was okay. It was good. It yeah. was regular. Regular for me. For I mean, for a small budget indie film. Um, mm-hmm. So like I'm comparing to this like comparing this to bottle rocket by wes anderson or Wiz of our dogs by quentin tarantino uh, mm-hmm. those are both kind of first time low budget indie films yeah. um and yeah i th- i think you know along by that standard this was a great film so mm-hmm. um and this this actually it wasn't spike lee's first film or even his first feature length film but it was his first like big film um that actually got some buzz and um it like that said it was still a shoestring budget it was shot on a budget of two hundred thousand dollars over a period of 12 days and so you talk about like a tight budget and this is back when you're paying for film and so every second yeah 1986 right every every second of footage you've got you got to pay for that so there were the budget was so tight there were no retakes so everything in the movie was the first take Mm -hmm. so yeah, that's that's kind of crazy. And then um, some of them, like Mars is lying, like, please, baby, please. Like we keep saying that. Um, that was totally ad lib because he forgot his line in the middle of the scene and just had to ad lib because he knew they couldn't do another take. <laughs> so, yeah, hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I can totally see that now. Some of mm-hmm. that they're talking about. 
yeah, it's uh, that on top of that, the budget was so tight for this. Whenever the cast broke for meals, Lee would walk around and connect the uh, aluminum cans so he could turn them in for recycling money. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and this movie is also probably back then was pretty controversial, right? I mean, just because it's a black film about black lives and with a black director and that, that kind of thing, that was just uh-huh. right. And so back then, I think that coming out and being a little bit more of a mainstream film probably was shocking maybe to white people i don't know yeah it's uh i kind of get the feeling this this film was not made to appeal to white people now i mean of course you know i still love it and a lot of people did um but when you have a lot of you know you know black interest films they they do feel a need to explain blackness and kind of make the plot about blackness to appeal to white viewers to make it more relatable to them and there was none of that here it just allowed the black people to just right. be regular people but yeah. it was undeniably black and that's one thing mm-hmm. i really loved about this film yeah so mm-hmm. it was unapologetically black and i think yeah. that really made this a strong film so i mm-hmm. liked it yeah um and um lee actually uh, for I, I thought he did a great job as Mars. Like I, anytime I hear a director is you know playing one of the starring roles, I get a little nervous. Um, but I think he did a pretty good job. Is he often in his films? Like was he? In- I don't know. I don't think he was in Black Klansman. Yeah, um, he may have had a little cameo, but he definitely wasn't one of the leads like this. And how old do you know how old he was when they did this film? <laughs> like almost I mean, he's 30. Young, right? Yeah, he yeah, looks like young. He, okay. he, he looks, looks like so 18, young. but I know he, was almost he 30. looks yeah. like a baby. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um so but it, it, this character Mars was so popular that Nike actually asked him to reprise the role of Mars for a series of Nike ads in like the late <laughs> 80s. Um so it was Mars um Blackman um alongside like Michael Jordan or something selling Nike shoes. Yeah, which is funny cuz his characters like so into shoes, right? <laughs> right, yeah. Maybe. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brandon, so you said that you really liked this movie. So what are some things that you you liked about the movie? Um, th- well, I, I think the thing I liked most was that this was very much an intellectual film. Um, and so everything from the soundtrack to the themes um, and, you know, again, comparing this to kind of early indie films by Wes Anderson or Quentin Tarantino, I think this is right on the money for that. It's um, this absolutely stands up with these films. And in fact, this one came first. So I think it's fair to say that Spike Lee was one of the original inspiration for these, you know, future indie darlings like um, Wes Anderson and Quentin Tarantino. So the soundtrack was great. Um, And a bit on the soundtrack, Spike Lee is actually the son of a prominent jazz bassist, Bill Lee. Um, And he had his father to compose the score for this film. So all that jazz soundtrack was composed by his father. Um, And Bill Lee actually appeared in the film as Nola's father. And so he had a small cameo there as well. Yeah, I have to admit that I don't, I really, 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 really dislike jazz. Um, oh, really? <laughs> so yeah. like, but I was able, but but that that's what I, I also liked about the film because I was able to get past it because it went so well with the film. And it was, you know, even yeah. though I just can't stand jazz. 
um, yeah. I think it really worked with the film and um, and did a good job of not making me hate it so much. Yeah. Um, and like, I, I don't sit down to listen to a lot of jazz. Um, but when I do, I actually really enjoy it as a musician because it's, it's very much a musician's genre. It allows yes. mus- musicians to go out <laughs> and do lots of different things. Um, and I mean, you know, of course, Spike Lee grew up with jazz with his father being a jazz musician. Um, mm-hmm. and it's, you could actually see that influence in this film. This film feels a lot like jazz. And I mean, what I mean by that is in jazz songs, there's like a lot of times there's like a main theme which everybody plays together but then each of the musicians gets to kind of play variations on that theme like his or her own little interpretation and styling it's recognizable like within the theme but it's still unique to that musician and that's kind of what we see these characters doing we see all four of the characters there's there is definitely a central theme that ties all four of these characters together um and you could see them doing that in unison talking about that but then each of them also get their little solos like little jazz solos where they do their own variations on the theme and show us that um and so i mean and like a lot of jazz music there are parts of this that are kind of sloppy um and then there are parts of it that are just absolutely brilliant and so um i i when I saw that, it's uh, it was a review from the LA Times, I think, is where I originally saw this idea. But the influence of jazz on this movie, I think, is uh, it's one of the things I liked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. Um, I think the points it made about feminism were very timely for the 80s yeah. um, and thoughtful. And so we'll get into that later. Um, and I, I actually love the fact that this was unapologetically black. Um, and so I really enjoyed that. So those are the things I liked. So what, what did you like Maria? Oh, along the similar lines with you, I didn't think that much about the jazz, um, jazz aspect of it, because like I said, I'm Mm -hmm. not, I didn't, I don't like jazz. It is very much, I think, like you said, an intellectual movie. It's, um, even if you think about like the character names, I mean, we have no, no, uh, Noah, Nora Darling. Nola. Sorry, Nola. Uh-huh. Nola Darling. Sorry, <laughs> Nola Darling. Her name is Darling. She's a Darling. Greer Childs. Mm-hmm. He's the one who's obsessed <laughs> with his health and body and looks. Yeah. Um, he's like a child Mars Blackmon. Like he's is he the ultimate black man? Like I don't know. You yeah. know these things. And then Jamie Overstreet is like the, you know, sensitive kind of soft spoken like so over straight like kind of over the top of yeah like so i just i thought i appreciated that and as a writer i think i appreciate things like that um i like many parts of the movie that are the feminist parts of the movie i think that there are some issues with it but that being said this was the 1980s and that i like that it was challenged the trope of easy women being worthless specifically easy black women um Mm -hmm. you know when women often are sexual or um or they like sex they're often demonized and um and thought of as easy and not worth it but um nola definitely um has to battle against that. And I think the film tries to make a good statement of challenging that. Um, And then I also liked um, the whole, like the black people just being people, you know, not necessarily black people, but still retaining so much blackness, you know, Um, it's not focusing on racism or otherness or blackness, but it's still very much black. Um, And it's, it's about um, integrating kind of, that normalcy into like the black experience and that's and i and i really enjoyed really enjoyed that and i guess i really 
it was not surprising because that's what I expected a Spike Lee film to be. So this movie did not surprise me that much, although I would say that it definitely surprised me with the feminist aspect. I did not realize this was such a feminist film before. I didn't either. Um, Yeah. yeah. And it was was very much to me an 80s feminist film from coming from a black man. It's very interesting that that um, Mm -hmm. that that was the case. So that's that's the part that I think surprised me. but the rest didn't. Um, but like I said, not my favorite film. I can, I think, appreciate yeah. it for its time. Maybe is yeah. is 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 what it is. Um, so I'm I'm you know I'm in the middle. It was a, it was a good film. So, yeah, yeah. It's um I loved um one of the lines in here. I think Mars does something nice for Jamie, and he's like, "Well, that's you know that's mighty black of you." I was like, "That's yeah. really cool." So, mm-hmm. um, and it's just to see this window of like, they, they don't feel the need to like, you know, have black people saying, well, it sure is hard being black, you know, like just allow them to, you know, live their everyday lives. That was, it was cool seeing that. It's, I mean, cause even today you don't see a lot of that. Right. Um, Right. So seeing this as far back as like 1986, I think was really cool. Brandon, now that we talked about some of the things that you liked, um, were there any things that um, you disliked about the film? <laughs> yes. And so there's, uh, well, let's talk about the elephant in the room here, which is the rape scene. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that, it's like, that really threw me off. And so I, I get the point he was trying to make, but I don't know that they needed to go that far. Um, and so I saw it like that made me cringe, like that scene. And Spike Lee himself has actually said like recently, like, that scene is the one thing I really regret about that film. It's I was young and stupid. I wasn't thinking about the implications. I shouldn't have done that scene. And so Spike Lee also has said, like, it was a mistake to put that in. Mm-hmm. So, like, that threw me for a loop. And, you know, again, I it, it wasn't without a point. It wasn't without a reason. But I don't know that intensity was needed for the point he was trying to make. So... Um, and then, I mean, as uh, an early in his career, like indie filmmaker and as a low budget film, there are some flaws with the technical aspects and the narrative. Um, so, I mean, like, I, it's not a perfect film um, for an early low budget indie film for what it is. I think it did a great job. So that's what I disliked about the film. What about you? Yeah. So the elephant in the room, the rape scene um, <laughs> it, itself was odd. And I was like, what the? fuck is going on like i couldn't believe that was happening and then i think what made it worse was that she decides to still like him and goes back Mm -hmm. back to him and doesn't think anything is wrong and i think that's the main um issue with it and i feel like it ruins the entire ending for me so um so it made it a little hard i don't think and i know spike lee has like you said come out and talked about it i don't think that was his intent but that's kind of what it made it seem like oh she's gonna go back with the rape guy who raped her um and then um, so that aside, though, sometimes I felt very much like I was watching someone's senior film thesis in college, and and <laughs> I didn't know if that yeah. was necessarily a bad thing, um, but just something I was 
kept having flashbacks about because in my when I was in grad school, I was dating a film major. And so I went to all of the like film screenings um, at the University of Central Florida and it really reminded hmm. me of all the films that the people made. Um, so there was that. And I was just I, I, I was bored. Um, I had to, this, this was I know not, it took you a lot of viewings to get through this, it right? It took me a lot to get through it. And it uh-huh. wasn't a four hour Gandhi film. Like, right. This is an hour. You, and a half. This is a yeah. very short. And I was just like, just pretty bored with it. And so that yeah. was unfortunately, and, That's and, fair. and like, as I can appreciate like what it did back for back then and all of that kind of stuff. But like, I just now watching, I, I just was kind of, was, was kind of bored. And I don't know, maybe I would have been more impressed if I was in my twenties or something. And, and just like I said, the ending when she decides to commit to the dude who like rapes her, um, yeah. is a little bit, um, a little bit. Well, I think she, she breaks it off after like almost immediately after, but yeah. Yeah. Still that, yeah, that choice to go back. And it's, uh, you know, again, I, I get what he was trying to do. I'll kind of get into that in the mental health section. Brandon, now that we've talked about um, our thoughts on the film and about liking and disliking things, I know you have some things to say in the mental health section with this movie. Um, so mental health and I mean, like longtime listeners of the show, you know, like we talk about women's issues because women's issues can cause mental health issues. And so like this is a strongly feminist film. And so I kind of wanted to get into that, some of the analysis of that. And so we have, you know, Nola is dating these three different men and um, like each of them kind of mistreats Nola in different ways, but they're all kind of the same way. And so what I mean by that is, I mean, you look at the three men. Um, I mean, Jamie, he adheres strictly to old fashioned relationships and gender roles and he expects nola to do the same so in his opening monologue he talks about meeting his one true soulmate um and so he has these romantic notions about old-fashioned relationships and uh you know he gets really mad that nola does not feel the same way about old-fashioned relationships and so um jimmy he says he loves nola but he loves this idealized version of nola so he doesn't like love all of nola he only likes the parts that he sees um and so, and then you notice how defensive he gets when he finds out a woman is hitting on Nola because that challenges old fashioned mm-hmm. gender roles. Um, and so he, he like gets really mad about a woman hitting on Nola. Um, and then Jamie, like at the beginning of the movie, he seems like he has the most to offer. Um, but then he actually like, there's the rape scene, which is portrayed by Jamie. Um, and so I, I think what that is, is Jamie is actually trying to punish Nola for nonconformist nonconformance. Yeah. Um, and so, and then her going back to him is kind of the, the deal women had in previous, like throughout the 50s, 60s and 70s is even if a man is shit, you're kind of stuck with that. Um, and so I, I think that I was trying to get, uh, Spike Lee was trying to get that across and then her leaving in the end is, you know, kind of saying times are changing. And so we'll get into that in just a minute. But I mean, Mars, um, 
I, I think in his opening monologue, he says, oh, yeah, Nola is a fun diversion, but I'd never consider her for, you know, a long term relationship. And so Mars, he has this clear concept of, you know, quote, marriage material. And he's like, Nola is not marriage material, which is hilarious because, I mean, of the three, I would say Mars is probably the least marriage material. Right. And he spends the most time talking about how Nola is not marriage material. And the mm-hmm. reason he's dating Nola is specifically because she's not marriage material. He likes that. Right. He's just like, I'm not going to, you know, give her a long term relationship. I just I like having this fun diversion. Um, and I mean, he turned like when Nola introduces her artwork to Mars, he immediately turns the conversation back to sex. Um, and so Mars, um, it, you would think he would be kind of progressive as a character, but he actually holds this rather regressive view, which is that there's this system of supply and demand for sex where the demand comes from the men and the supply comes from the women. Right. Um, so, I mean, he believes sex is like this commodity that women keep that must be earned through games and impressive feeds. And so he, I think, it, I mean, like he expresses it through sarcasm, but he's very mad that Nola has her own demand for sex and her demand you know, is larger than his supply. <laughs> and so um, he has these regressive views there. And then Greer, of course, is probably the the most misogynistic of the bunch. Um, he just sees a woman as incomplete without a man. Like in his opening monologue, he talks about how he's reforming Nola, which is a, like yeah. a terrible sign. And so he kind of sees himself as the pinnacle of manhood. So he's like, oh, Nola needs a man and I'm the most man. So she she needs me the most. Um, and you can see he has these totally rude statements like as soon as you get fat, I'm leaving you um, because yeah. he believes that because Nola needs him, she has no choice but to stay with him because he's the best choice. Um, and so, I mean, all of these men mistreated her, but all of that mistreatment is about Nola's rejection of traditional gender roles. Um, and so she, you know, it, like I said, there used to be the system of supply and demand or like there was a perception of that for sex. And then Nola has her own demand and goes out and gets it. Um and she will not commit to one relationship. And it just drives all three of these men crazy. And they react in different ways. But all of them are just extremely mad that she will not conform to traditional gender roles, relationship roles. And I, I think it's the last line in the film. Nola actually says, it's really about control. My body, my mind. Who was going to own it? Them or me? And I was like, that that kind of sums up what this film is about here. Um so that was interesting to see and delve into. So I, I did actually look up some studies on this. There was a study done in the mid 60s. So about 20 years before this film came out on how many people would settle for a marriage partner that didn't have all the qualities they wanted. Um, and so in other words, how many people got in a relationship that weren't entirely happy with just because they wanted a relationship. And perhaps unsurprisingly, that number was much lower for men than women. So 24% of men would settle to be in a relationship, whereas 64% of women would settle. Um, and so women were much more likely to get into relationships they weren't entirely happy with just to be in a relationship. And this is back in the 60s. But here's the thing. The study was done again 20 years later in 1986, which is the same year this film came out. And mm-hmm. it found that at that point, women were equally willing to reject candidates who didn't meet their qualifications. So by the 80s, women were becoming a lot more picky. Um, and the the study didn't make any conclusive statements as to why. But the, the generally accepted theory is that it's because women were entering the workforce so from an economic standpoint, they didn't need marriage. Right. Um, so they, they uh, you know, for the first time had the agency to do this. And so this was something that was changing rapidly 
in the 80s. And so that's why I think this film was so timely to the 80s. They've actually remade this film into a miniseries on Netflix just, yeah, I think, in the last year that. or two. Mm-hmm. And it's it's cool that it's getting that exposure, but I don't think this is as timely an issue. Right. Um, because well, I wonder there was what so they much, did with it, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen it. So I've, <laughs> yeah. Spike Lee's involved. So I, I need to probably give that a chance. But um, yeah, it's there, there was a big change happening, like almost like a cultural revolution for women going on in the 80s. And men did not deal well with this. And that's what this film is about. And so in the 70s, it was, oh gosh, somewhere around 75% of American adults believed women should stay at home and not work. In 1982, that number had dropped to 47.2%. And so things were rapidly changing. And now, like in 2019, that number's around 25%. Um, and so it's, you know, still falling. Now, um, and, you know, perhaps unsurprisingly, Republicans and uneducated people were more likely to hold this view. And men, of course, were much more likely to hold this view that women should stay in the home and not work. Mm-hmm. Um And so, I mean, the point is not that every woman needs to get out of the house and get a job. The point is that every woman should have a choice and uh, no woman should have that forced upon them um, to, you know, choose between a career and taking care of a home. And so if a woman wants to stay at home, you know, great if that is her choice. Um, But if a woman does not have that choice, that's where we take issue. And so... um, Women, you can do both. You can do everything. Men only have to work. They don't have to take care of children or do the house or anything. (laughs) Because um, that's uh, now the thinking is that, yeah, sure, women, you can go out. They're still doing most of the housework. Exactly. You can go out and you can have a job, but you still have to come home and take care of all of the other stuff. (laughs) Right. So... It's uh, so I mean, that frustration is kind of what this film is about. And I think it did a great job, like showing that in such a concise way, because this is not a long movie, but it showed this so clearly, so succinctly. And so that's that's something I really liked um, about this film. So that's what I have to say on that. So what do you think this film has to say about mental health? Yeah, so like kind of a similar um Similar topic as I thought, and I remember the last podcast we did when we chose it, when I was trying to find a summary for it, and I was like, well, this movie is just about sex. It's, it's about sex. And it is. Uh-huh. I think this this movie is very much about sex. Um, I think one of the thing, one of the one mental illness things that come out of this movie that's actually commented upon, whether it's right or, or wrong, which I'll get into in a minute, is that every that um, they think she has a sex addiction. Nola has a sex addiction, and sex addiction is a very much a, a real thing. Um, there mm-hmm. are people who have, I think the, the and I was when I was looking it up in the Mayo Clinic, it's called compulsive sexual behavior or just sex addiction, and that's really happens when um, when sexual behavior behavior becomes a major focus in your life. It's very difficult to control, disruptive, and because of it, it's very disruptive to your life. It's harmful to you or others. Um, and then, and then, and only then can it really be considered sex addiction. I don't think that Nola is addicted to sex. I think that Mm -hmm. there's a lot of evidence out there that she is a very independent woman. Um, she can take care of herself. She has a job. Um, you know, all that stuff. It's not her dating three men isn't really about being addicted to sex. Um, but I do think that the film tries to comment that, um, 
that she is um, is definitely not addicted to sex and that they just think that because she's a woman. And a lot of the times that's what, mm-hmm. you, you know, like I said earlier, women having any kind of sexual desires, it seems really unheard of. Just like um, Mars and he's like, doesn't think that she she's, you know, wife material, marriage material, probably because she has sex a lot. Men say those things. So that is a thing that, you know, yeah. y- you know, why? What is it? But why? Buy the cow if you get the milk for free. Is that <laughs> yeah. is that what it is? So, so women who have yeah, sex for pleasure. I hate that statement. Yeah, yeah. Women who are who, who have sex for pleasure who are not virginal shouldn't be wife material. That is a very much a thinking, and I think this movie and people does still a, think that people still think that. Yes, exactly. And um, and I think this movie tried to really focus on saying that's not the way things should be anymore. And so that's, a, you know, and so I think it's similar. It's it's also about gender roles and gender nonconformity because she's not conforming to the way that she should be. She must have a problem. She must have a mental illness. She's addicted to sex, you know, and that's how that Mm -hmm. stumbles out of control. Um, And so that's what I thought about. um, But unfortunately, because of the whole rape stuff, (laughs) And the and the yeah. and then her kind of going back that it, it a little bit tries to co- kind of contradicts I think what Spike Lee was trying to say I just think it just ended up being that way it was the eighties and unfortunately I mean not saying that it was right but so that was that was the you know the the main beef I have with the movie but um but that's what I thought about in terms of mental health when I was watching this movie I thought it was um I thought it was interesting that um I don't think we've had a sex addiction movie yet (laughs) i don't i don't think so and it's i mean going back to to what you said too it's um i mean like lately i've you know there there's been a lot of talk of slut shaming where if a woman enjoys sex she shouldn't be shamed for that and you know again the the point isn't that every woman should go out and have sex with a ton of men it's that every woman should have a choice Um, and she should not be shamed for not wanting sex she should not be shamed for wanting a lot of sex Mm -hmm. um and so that's i i think the the one of the points in this film was specifically that nola was not dependent on men for anything um and that drove the men crazy because they were so used to men or men being in charge and women being dependent on men so yeah, it's uh I like that. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And and like I said, it was I I I knew that we were get we were gonna get some, you know, um something from Spike Lee about, you know, what it means to be black, but not really what it means to be a black woman. And so I thought that was yeah. interesting and a little bit surprising and I'm happy that, that it turned yeah. out that way. So I am going to now pick um, the movie that we are going to be watching and talking about next. And so I have picked Love and Other Drugs. It is a 2010 Hmm. movie um, and it's something that I picked. And um, have you ever seen this movie? I have not seen. I know it has uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, right? Yeah, it has Jake okay, Gyllenhaal. Okay, because I remember and... from the game you played that one time. But yeah. Oh, 
Oh, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> from my, who's that? Maybe <laughs> yeah, we need to, was, maybe that? we need another, who's that? Yilinhal uh, game. Um, and it also has Anne Hathaway in it. And so the summary that I have for it is a womanizing Pfizer drug representative with no sense of direction or responsibility falls in love with a young woman afflicted with Parkinson's. And so I thought, the, and so just to let you know, I picked this movie and I wouldn't say this is the greatest movie ever (laughs) i would definitely but i remember watching it and i felt when we were choosing movies i felt like this dealt with a lot of um like Like mental mental health kind of um you know and uh, you know all that kind of stuff so i mean the movie's called love and other drugs so um so i just thought it would be interesting to see um how this movie fits in with our podcast so i so just not not to say that this is the best movie, um, and it's probably more of a romantic comedy. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, drama I mean, I'm okay with a good romantic comedy. Yeah. So yeah. And so this, hopefully, yeah. don't be mad at me. Is what I'm saying for. Yeah, it's, it's okay. <laughs> um, and so it, this will be interesting because for those who don't know, I just got a new job like a month ago. Um, I I now do marketing for pharmaceutical companies, and so this guy that was oh, the drug shit. rep for Pfizer is like my client. Um, and so that's that's oh. what I'm do, doing stuff for is stuff like that. So I oh. actually I make little apps. And so I'll get to see like how he does his job because that's that's yeah. I'm essentially I'm providing the marketing materials for people like that. Exactly. So, but this was 10 yeah. years ago. So I'm sure there's a lot more technology things now in 2020. Right. Just this movie was 2010. <laughs> so, so. But we'll um, yeah. cool. Yeah. Okay. So we'll be we'll be um, watching and talking about love and other drugs. Tune in next time. So now that we've um, would would we like to to wrap up by Brandon? Would you like to take us away? Take us away. All right. So we are Peculiar Picture Show, a podcast that talks about movies, maladies, and mental health. Um, you can find us online at peculiarpicture.show and uh, probably just about anywhere that has podcasts is going to have our podcast. So you can listen there. Um, additionally, I write my own movie reviews at brandontalksmovies.com and I have some of my mental health writing at monsteronmyback.pub. So thanks for listening and we'll catch you later. See you next time.